0: Welcome to ECDHR in Conversation with Saudi Women, presented by Deborah, Manu, Mariangela and Sherry. We hope that through this series you will get a better understanding of the women's rights situation in Saudi Arabia and why our participants left the country. All of them are now very active in the fight for human rights and this might be a great opportunity for you to get inspiration from amazing women. Thank you for joining us in today's episode.
1: Today, I'm joined by Lina Al-Ghathlou, a Saudi activist who has been tirelessly campaigning for the unconditional release of her sister, Lujain. Lina's activism also includes raising broader issues regarding the human rights situation in Saudi Arabia and collaborating with NGOs. She is also a member of the National Assembly Party. Today, we will talk about Lina's experience growing up in Saudi Arabia and her activism, specifically regarding women's rights in Saudi Arabia. Welcome, Lina, and thank you for joining us today. Hello, thank you for having me. So, Lina, you were born in Saudi Arabia, and you moved to France six months old, and then went back when you were five. Could you tell us a bit more about your experience growing up in Saudi Arabia as a young woman?
2: Yes, um, I did live in Saudi Arabia, but I will be absolutely honest with you and the audience. I was a privileged one. Um, I did not really experience the Saudi life as a Saudi. <laughs> I was more in the um, expat um, sphere. As I was in the French school, I had French friends. Um, most of my friends were not Saudi. Uh, my parents, uh, you know, were quiet, uh, protective, and um, yes, I I lived a very privileged easy life in Saudi I must admit. Um, so you mentioned
1: that you studied in a French school but your sister actually uh, went to a Saudi school
2: so how would you compare your experience? How were they different? Uh, yes absolutely it's um, funny and sad I must say because I used to visit her sometimes after school so I, I, I finished school and I went to lu school um, to to pick her up and um, it was always a bit um shocking for me to see that she was not um, amongst other things of course she was not allowed to leave school without you know the permission of someone inside of the school uh, you know it was um uh, so uh, strict uh, you know the director had uh, to make sure that she she wears uh, her abaya properly, uh, that she covers her face. And all of that I didn't really experience myself. You know, I was, I I could leave whenever I wanted. And, you know, I didn't have any, anyone telling me how to dress. So I, of course I saw the difference. Um, And I saw that, uh, you know, many women were frustrated about it, that sometimes uh, they would also try to to get control over their, their lives and, you know, sometimes not obey these orders when it comes to how they, they're supposed to be dressed. So um, I did see so many differences. And um, lujane was quite brave um, to live all of this without any hatred. I yourself recognized that you grew up in a very privileged environment.
1: Was there a particular moment of your life, a particular experience? That made you
2: realize that the life of a young Saudi woman could be very different from yours? Um, I would say I left Saudi quite young. So, really, the moment I realized that I was privileged when I was there and that not everyone was living the life I was living was when Rujain got imprisoned. And, you know, that I started really digging into what is going on in the country you know, what people are really living, um, what the restrictions are for Saudi women. And uh, yeah, I would say it's really Lou Jane's maybe first arrest in 2014. And then really uh, when it, I had my eyes wide open uh, during her second arrest in 2018. As you mentioned, you moved to Belgium in 2011
1: and you have lived in Europe since then. Could you tell us a bit more about why you left Saudi Arabia?
2: Again, um, I think my story is quite different from the uh, other episodes of the podcast because I didn't really leave for political reasons or you know to um, to change uh, my life or uh, or anything. I really moved because of my sister's studies, another sister, and then I started also studying in Belgium, and I started working here. But the thing is. You know, when I moved, I always, um, I didn't even realize that, that I was moving because I could go back anytime. I mean, I used to go back to Saudi three times a year or whenever I felt like it. And the difference now is to feel like I'm not stuck, but, you know, obliged to stay here and that I cannot go back. And that's really the moment where I felt that I actually left the country once I couldn't go back. You mentioned that right now, you feel like you cannot go back to Saudi Arabia, but is that something you would like to do to go back to uh, Saudi Arabia and live there? I mean, uh, the question is if I would like to go back in Saudi Arabia, it depends on the under which circumstances. Um, under these circumstances, of course not. I know that uh, they would probably be waiting for me at the airport to put me in prison, but I'd love to go back to Saudi Arabia and the Saudi Arabia I knew or a better one, um, one where I could, can see my family without fear, where I can go out without fearing of being uh, imprisoned um, or disappeared. Um, so yes, I'd like to go back to Saudi Arabia, but uh, Saudi Arabia that's not targeting me for uh, my, my speeches and my words. You're saying that now your activism is actually preventing you from going
1: back to Saudi Arabia. Could you explain to us your journey into activism and what made you talk about what's happening in Saudi Arabia?
2: Um, Yes, so um, it all started when my sister got imprisoned in 2018. So at the very beginning, when she got arrested, honestly, uh, it's almost it was funny, I would say for me, because, you know, seeing her picture on the newspaper saying that she's a traitor and, um, and a foreign agent, you know, it almost felt like we were in the USSR. Like, what, what is this? It almost felt like a joke. And then when she disappeared for one week, two weeks, three weeks, where we didn't have any um, news of my sister, it really wasn't a joke anymore, and that's where you know our journey uh, through hell started um, but it's also you know an experience that really opened my eyes and i think um and i mean I'm not thankful for her imprisonment, but I'm thankful at least that this experience brought me something positive, which is that i don't act like a privileged one anymore. Um, Because I know, and you know, there's just no way back. My sister, when she got imprisoned at the beginning, you know, we didn't know really what was going on in the country. Um, The crown prince had just arrived, you know. He was still seen as a reformer, kind of. Um, The West praised him. uh, Everyone applauded him when he traveled. But then we started seeing the waves of arrest, not only to activists, but, you know, businessmen, princes, clerics, academics, professors, everyone, every, every, you know, branch of the society uh, had its people getting arrested or its elites getting arrested. And so we knew that. We're really uh, drowning into darkness in Saudi Arabia, and um, the 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 man everyone called a reformer is cle- clearly not a reformer. He's um, a dictator. And so at the beginning we didn't speak because you know you're in a new situation, a new context. You don't know how to really act. You don't know what might cause harm to your sister. So you prefer to avoid, you know, anything that could um, get her into trouble. So we were silent. And then, you know, um, it was just getting too much. And when my parents visited her, that we knew, uh, we found out about the torture that Lujain showed my my parents um, her blackened thighs um, and told them that, uh, you know, she got electrocuted during these uh, months and that uh, she was beaten flogged uh, sexually harassed that's when you know i realized that there's just no way we could stay silent and our silence could kill my sister and then you know um day after day we started really uh trying to seek help um we also you know at the beginning also it was very difficult for for us to be in contact with activists because i we would be targeted more uh, by the Saudi regime saying that, you know, we we talk to activists that and uh, this is a crime, basically. But then at some point we just said, OK, that's the only thing we can do now, it's to talk to people and seek help. And that's what I started doing. And that's when really my activism started. And I realized it's not only my sister, it's not only the activists, it's the whole country that's being uh, that is a victim of uh, this crown prince. So as you mentioned, your activism has really expanded. Uh, You're
1: looking at the human rights situation, not only in Saudi Arabia, but also in the Middle East in general. And you do focus on many issues, including uh, political prisoners, civil and political rights, but also women's rights. Um, So concerning the latter, could you tell us a bit more about the actual situation in Saudi Arabia and what the reform presented by Mohammed bin Salman actually mean for the women on the ground?
2: Yes, um, I will say you know the um, his strategy regarding women's rights is exactly like everything he has done for, uh, since you know he he came to power. Whether it's you know with the death penalty of minors, uh, uh, open up, up the country to tourism, uh, everything. But regarding women's rights specifically, it's uh, you know it's, a, it's it's a sham, a sham changes basically. It's. Uh, it's only for the West to applaud him and to, and to seem legitimate or you know, to be accepted by the international community because uh, if he really wanted to make a deep structural institutional changes, he would just abolish the male guardianship system. Yes, MBS's um, reforms regarding women's rights are nothing um, structural or deep or real the changes he has made are not reforms are only changes and they don't change anything in the, the women's um situation globally the male guardianship system is still in place and everything we've been hearing uh, regarding uh, reforms or changes they're only one um one side of the of the story um so The examples I could give are the ones uh, that have been mediatized and applauded the most are, for example, the fact that now women can travel um, without the consent of their male guardian. Okay, this is true, uh, but then we have to look at the broader picture. Um, Women can now, they don't need the the consent uh, before traveling, but again, the male guardian, if he considers the, 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 the travel as a disobedience, as, you know, diso- disobedient him, he could call the police and um, use the disobedience law and the woman can get arrested and put in a home care, which is basically a prison for women, because uh, she tried to travel without his consent. This is one thing um so the disobedience law basically vetoes uh, all the new freedoms and rights that are granted but this no one talks about because mbs only wants uh, the west and the international community to see that there, there are changes for him to be accepted and that uh, they can f- uh, that he can finally be seen as legitimate as a legitimate ruler because he had he doesn't have any legitimacy Neither from the royal family nor from the people. To go back to women's rights, um, another thing is, for example, now everyone applauded the fact that there are concerts that the women can, you know, uh, dance uh, that they ha- they can wear colors. And again, this is only one side of the story because the the police were granted a new prerogative, which is. Um, uh, choosing if a woman is decent enough in public. So, uh, a policeman, based on his own morals, he can choose to um, arrest a woman because he considers her not being decent enough, and she can get arrested and imprisoned for that. Um, so, we just see that the whole situation in Saudi Arabia, no one really digs into the changes, and all, people only want to hear what they want to hear that, you know. It's opening up and that women have rights, which is not true. Women are still as repressed as ever. The male guardianship is still in place. Uh, women are still, um, don't, still don't have any place uh, to seek when they're abused. Um, really, the s- structural changes are inexistent. And um, we should talk about the, the real problems of Saudi women again. You have talked several times about um, the male guardianship system.
1: Could you explain to us and our listeners what it is and what it actually entails for women?
2: Um, So the male guardianship system is the fact that women are considered as minors till the end of their lives, so at least for the important decisions of their lives. So uh, to get married, to uh, have a loan, to uh, have a job, to travel. Uh, some, you know, as I as I mentioned, some uh, are less strict, but uh, basically everything is still the same. And a male uh, can decide on all the important de- decisions um, of a woman. Which brings me to another thing I wanted to, to, to say, which is really absurd, is that the Saudi regime considers uh, women as minors for the important decisions of their lives but they they don't consider them as minors when it comes to so called crimes you know if you consider someone if you consider someone as a minor then you you think that um um they're not mature enough also to commit crimes right uh, but then when it's uh, good for them to consider them as uh, mature enough and you know uh, adults then they they do and they imprison them for crimes um which can also be activism. So really uh, the, the whole system is absurd and it just wants to repress women and they do it in the name of uh, whatever law they create.
1: It seems that um, you think the whole political system is kind of problematic in Saudi Arabia. You're now a member of the NAS, which is the National Assembly Party, a Saudi opposition political party. Can you tell us a bit more about this party and why you decided to join?
2: Yes. Um, I think this party was created at the right moment. It wouldn't have had so, such success if it was uh, created a couple of years ago. Because now we see, you know, of course, Saudi Arabia was never a democracy. I repeat it. But um, there was still place before MBS, before Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, there was still place for some kind of Civil society, or some kind of, you know, independent voices, or you know, at least, you know, people being free to 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 say what they want regarding some kinds of subjects, not everything. But since Hamad bin Salman, every voice disappeared. You cannot say anything. You get arrested over a tweet. You, you know, you get tortured, disappeared, killed, um, cut into pieces so really the um, the situation in Saudi Arabia is really really scary and so us abroad the diaspora I think we have a duty now is to be the voice of the people inside of the country and also outside but we you know it doesn't really work when everyone just uh, writes tweets from uh, from their own accounts and you know uh they do their activism by their own it doesn't have any weight i must say so it's really when people gather and that we unite our voices and our differences for a one goal that it can work i mean i don't agree on all subjects with all the people of this political party there are so many subjects i disagree with them um you know w- whether it's uh Right, or politics. I don't agree with everyone, but our goal is common. We want to be allowed to speak our minds um, regarding Saudi Arabia without fearing uh, for ourselves or our families. So this very specific goal, which is, you know, regaining some kind of uh, freedom of speech and defending the political prisoners is the only thing that, get, uh, that unites us and we should all work together. And we need also the support of the West to legitimize our party, because we are the people, we are the country. MBS doesn't represent anyone. We represent so much more people than MBS does. So I think uh, now the international community has also to get us to the table of negotiations and hear our voices when it comes to Saudi Arabia.
1: Within the NAS you mentioned that there is a sense of a duty. Yourself, do you have a specific sense of responsibility toward raising human rights issue in Saudi Arabia?
2: Absolutely. I mean, um, I I was lucky. Uh, I was heard. Um, I mean, Lujain was famous before she got imprisoned, so it was a bit, I think, also easier for me to raise her case. And because I was heard, and because now I have some kind of um a name in this in this uh, human rights sphere and international organizations. It's a duty for me to continue, not only for Lujain, but for everyone. No, I wouldn't feel even, um, I wouldn't have any um, self-love or I would hate myself if I didn't speak for the others when I know that I, I I can be heard. So of course it's a duty for me, for my country, for my people, for my family. Uh, for my friends, for everyone that's suffering inside of Saudi Arabia to be their voice when I am not scared here. I, I don't fear anything. I'm, I'm free and my voice has to be useful. Thank you very much, Lina, for answering all of our questions. Uh, as a
1: last one, is there any message you would like to give to young women and men in Saudi Arabia today and to the wider public, uh, our listeners in general?
2: Yes, I will say um, to the ones inside of the country, I know it's not easy. Um, I know it's difficult. Uh, We understand the struggle. We understand that you cannot raise your voices, and we won't ever blame you for this. Um, So my message especially goes to the ones who are free and able to use their voices for just causes please do so, and uh, again, please do not underestimate yourselves. Um, You know, one tweet can really uh, be um, the start uh, of a fire in Saudi Arabia, and that they will, of course, they will harass you, they will threaten you, but only for you to um, stop speaking, which is the biggest proof and evidence that uh, your words count. So please, when you get the opportunity, To speak for prisoners of conscience in Saudi Arabia or about this human rights situation in Saudi Arabia, don't hesitate and I promise you it will bring change.
1: On behalf of ECDHR, I would like to thank you very much, Lina, for joining us today and sharing your personal story with us. Thank you. Thank you.
0: On behalf of ECDHR, Thank you for joining us and for listening to our podcast. It has been a great pleasure to learn about the women's rights situation in Saudi Arabia from women who have experienced it. And we would like to once again, thank our participants for their contribution. Please keep following our social media channels and discover our new projects.